0: The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907 341 4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Hey, what's up, 11 a.m.? How you guys doing? You made it. You're here. Your house didn't fall down. Man, we're so glad that you're here today. If you're new, my name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. Talk about feeling helpless, right? There's nothing that makes you feel more helpless than when your house is shaking to beat the band. And so we were, it's just, it's funny. We were laying in bed, and we came out of bed, went into the girls' room. My oldest daughter, Kate, and she's sitting up in bed holding a book. We're like, what are you reading for? And she's like, it hit me in the head. <laughs> and I don't know if any of you did this, but for me, every time this happens, I'm always wondering, when is the appropriate time to run out in the street in my underwear? right? Because it's like, I don't know if it's now or later, or like, do I wait till there's like, you know, drywall coming out of the ceiling? Or, you know, when do you actually move? That's the hardest thing, right? Is it time to go steal the the kids out of their rooms and and run outside? Is it like, is it going to get worse? Or you're always thinking it's not going to get worse, right? You're like, I'm sure that's the, no, 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 I'm sure that's, no, no, that's a little bit more, ah," you know? It's hard to tell, are we at the end of this thing? But uh, earthquakes are scary. Um, Life is kind of like that. I was thinking about this this morning as we're we're walking into the discussion that we're going to get into today. There's a lot of things in life that we kind of start wondering, like, when is it time to deal with that problem, right? Or you're just laying there. You're going, I hope it gets better. I hope it goes away. But uh, the truth is, we sometimes wonder, um, you know, what would it be like if we, we should have moved sooner? You know, what if we could have, you know, gotten out of the house, but we just didn't because we waited way too long? And a lot of things in life are like that. Uh, I, I've experienced things like that a lot of times. I've got a relationship with a friend that uh, I kind of had to deal with this year, this week. I had to have a, have a conversation um, with a friend of mine that was it was a little hard, and we'd had sort of a, a rift in our friendship for a little bit of time. And I knew that there was something wrong there. And I was just sort of putting it off, thinking it's going to go away. It'll fix itself. And it's been such a long time that I realized it was time to to dig in deep and have a tough conversation. It was so good. It was so good just to sit down with this person, to deal with maybe some conflict and some things that we disagreed on, and then to walk away unified, having fixed the, the weirdness in the relationship. And that takes work, doesn't it? Some of you have people in your life right now that you're thinking, I really need to have that conversation, but I'm just going to wait it out. I'm going to hold on tight, and I'm going to see if it goes away. And oftentimes, it doesn't. These are the hard things in life. Uh, This week, I'm calling I'm Giving Up. In our Struggles series, this is one of the struggles is sometimes we feel like just giving up. On life, and uh, we're going to launch in in this Matthew seven passage. This is where we're beginning each week. Matthew chapter seven verse thirteen says, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." And this is a really simple, basic concept. It, it's it's really saying that there are two ways. There's the way to death, and there's the way to life. And the tendency is going to be for you and most of your friends to take the way to death because the way to death is easier. The way to death takes less work, takes less effort. And so people are going to naturally tend to lean towards the way of death instead of the way of life, which he's saying is going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort. And it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. And you guys know that anything of value in your life, anything that you look back and say, I'm so glad I did that, um, it costs you something. It costs you, maybe it was time, maybe it was money, maybe it was energy, but the best things in life end up costing us something. And, and I believe that's the case when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. If we're going to do the work, we're going to feel a lot a lot better. And so um, I'm giving up is, is the conversation. And I'd encourage you as we talk today, can I ask you just to, to dig in deep in your soul a little bit? Um, I know maybe you're, you're still tired from last night, and you didn't get any sleep, and you're sucking down coffee because you actually never went back to sleep. I totally get that. Um, but, but I'd ask you to dig in deep, because I think there's, uh, there's a real issue going on in, in our church and in our society today when it comes to this whole idea of sadness and depression, So let's read this passage in Genesis chapter 32 together. If you don't have a Bible, you can read it on the screen behind me. If you're just too tired to open it up, that's fine. Read it behind me. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to download the Uversion Bible app um, on your Android or iPhone, and it'll be with you every day, everywhere you go. So um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. Let's read this. That same night, He arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Let's pray together over God's word as we start today. God, thank you for this great place that we get together. God, thank you that uh, we can safely gather, um, freely gather in this place today to talk about you and to consider deeper things in our own lives. God, thanks that the roof didn't cave in last night for us at least. Uh, God, we pray for those who are dealing with some of the aftermath of that today. God, your, your grace and your peace would be on them. And God, could we as a community just press into you? Um, There are so many things that we could spend our time doing, God. We are here right now. Could we uh, leave here having really inspected our soul at a deep level? And God, would you speak to us? Would you make yourself known to us? God, I pray from the person who has great faith today to the person who's here wondering what uh, this Christianity thing is all about. I, I pray that everyone in between, God, that we would have an interaction with you today, one that changes us. I prayed in Jesus name amen amen so as i said this is a this is a tough conversation um, because there's a real stigma when it comes to um, when it comes to depression when it comes to any kind of like mental disabilities, people get really weird and really. Awkward. I preached this message on Wednesday night, and as soon as I did, the texts started coming in, the Facebook messages started coming in. Uh, maybe some of you had conversations as we opened up this Pandora's box of, of, of depression and sadness, because we just, we don't talk about it. We, like I said, we hope it goes away, and it gets a little weird sometimes when you have this conversation, and maybe you've been the one that, uh, that has heard somebody talk about being depressed, and all of a sudden you wanted to distance yourself from the relationship because it felt like this was going to start taking a lot of work, right? You're like, all right, this is going to cost me a lot, this relationship. I think I'm going to go over here, because that's going to be a little easier. You know? Or maybe you were the one sharing your heart, and you've seen the, the tension in the relationships as you tried to, to let it out. But I think it's becoming more and more open in our society and and especially in our churches. And one thing you need to know is that as a church, as ACF Church, uh, we want to have these hard conversations. And we believe that the church should be the safest place and the best place to talk about things like your sadness and your depression. As the people of God, um, we are grounded in this understanding that we see the world and we see ourselves and we look at it and we go, things aren't as they should be. Things aren't quite right. And so we look to God and we look to Jesus to make things right. But we know that in us and in the world around us, things are not as they should be. And so when we hear like, hey, I'm depressed, I'm sad, my life is not how I expected it to be, the church should be the first place to be embracing uh, people as they deal with that. And so I don't know where you're at. Maybe you are downright depressed here. Or maybe you weren't depressed till you got here. And now you're like, I'm getting a little depressed, thanks. Um, but I don't know where you're at. Or maybe you're, you're just... You're a little sad, you've dealt with some tough things in your life, and maybe this sadness is slowly extending, and you're dealing with it for more of a long-term basis. Maybe you're grieving, and you lost somebody that you love, or you, you lost some kind of hope or dream that you, you expected uh, your life would be farther than it is right now. You'd be farther along than you are, and you're slowly kind of putting this dream to death. I don't know what it is. Or maybe you're all the way on the other spectrum, and you've been diagnosed by a doctor with depression. Which is often diagnosed and, and even treated in our society today, and I want to I want to deal with that a little bit. And, and this is kind of a freebie um, because I think that this can be a little weird for church people sometimes. There's this sort of understanding. Uh, I don't know if anybody says it, but it's like if I have a a mental illness that if I had enough faith, I would just kind of pray that away and I'd feel all better. Uh, Maybe you felt this before or felt kind of that tension of like, do you treat that? Do you actually get medication for that? Understand, listen, um, get treated get help. And that's not the right thing for everybody, but if you go into a doctor and he prescribes you something, taking medication for a mental illness is no less faithful than taking medication or, or insulin for diabetes or treating your knee or treating your back. It's, it's, it's an illness. And so I just want to, this may sound like a public service announcement. I totally get it. But, but just stick with me because this isn't talked about as much as it should be. And what I know is that every time we talk about this, people bubble to the surface. And uh, I also know this about you, is that um, maybe this isn't you that's dealing with this, but probably somebody in your life is dealing with this. So you need to understand sadness and understand depression in a way that's going to give you the tools you need to help people around you so that they can get better. I want to give you a couple statistics, because I think these statistics make things uh, seem a little more real to us sometimes. Um, 18% of people have been diagnosed with a mental health issue. That's probably about in a room this size, probably about 50 people in this room have been diagnosed with some kind of mental health issue, which seems like a lot, Um, but that's just where it's at. Um, In the past year, in a room this size, about 15 of you have contemplated suicide. Just really sad that 15 of the people in this room uh, have contemplated just giving up. I am so done. With life, about 35,000 people per year die by suicide in the U.S. 35. So the population of Eagle River disappears in the U.S. because of suicide, which is just crazy. It's just a, a terrible thing that we find ourselves in. Every 15 minutes, somebody takes their life because of suicide. Which means by the end of this sermon, three people in the U.S. will have said, "I'm done with life" and taken their own lives. Um, contrary to popular belief, Alaska is not number one uh, per capita in suicide. Montana is number one, so I don't know if anybody's moving to Montana anytime soon, but apparently it's worse there. I don't know. Um, I know it's dark in Alaska. I guess it's dark in Montana as well, but uh, but we are not number one for that anymore. And here's a statistic that I think is is really, really key. 90% of people who die by suicide have depression or another diagnosable, treatable mental or substance abuse disorder, which means that it doesn't have to be this way. It means if people started talking and letting things out, that this statistic could change and we could move down on this list. And I think that you as the church can make a big dent in this. Think about this. Think about the number of people that we will have here on a, on a weekend at ACF Church. And then you guys go into our community. And as you become those who are aware of this issue, you can make a change in our city. Like a huge change simply by being a safe place to talk about it or being the one who has the guts to talk about it. Because it's your issue. And it's your problem. I know it's difficult. But we want to open this this up. I want to start with this guy, David, who uh, is somebody we keep coming back to in this series of struggles because David struggled a lot, and he was really honest about it, super honest. But he's kind of bipolar, which um, which is awesome. So if you're kind of like that, you're like, oh, I love my life. And you're like, why does God hate me? This is David. He's totally like that. So Psalm 13 says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have... Sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So there you go. You see him going from... From this hopelessness to hope. And I love that transition. But I have trusted in your love. I believe that you love me, God. I, I don't feel that you love me. I feel like you've forgotten about me. I feel like I'm just being brushed under the mat. But I'm gonna trust that you love me because I know that and I've seen it before. And I love this this other thing he talks about. He's dealing with depression, he's struggling, he's in this dark moment, and you know what he does to respond? He 's like, "Hey, I should sing a little bit that 's what I should do. I should sing and i don 't know for you when you come to church if you connect with the whole singing thing every week our our, uh, our team leads you in worship, and the goal you guys, is to help you to sing like this isn't this isn 't karaoke time at church, just for no reason. This is to help you to talk to God and to say things from your heart that will transform." You and your relationship with God. Worship, essentially, the whole point is for us to realize who we are in light of an all-powerful, all-loving God. And so, especially for you guys in the room, men in the room, if you're like, yeah, Brian, that's kind of my least favorite part of the whole thing, the whole church. If I could just go get coffee during the singing time, I don't really connect with it. I don't like to sing. Nowhere in my life do I I sing except for at church. And so I don't really, and I don't sound good. Brian, trust me, you don't want me to sing. Listen, here's the thing. I do want you to sing. It is a beautiful thing when the church is singing together, because as a, as a community, we're all saying these things about God. And I would even encourage you in this, if you read the words sometimes and you're like, yeah, the song says God is good, his love endures forever, whatever. You're like, I don't know if I'm really believing that right now. I don't know if I, I really feel that. Then you know what that, that means? Now is the perfect time to sing it. Because when you sing it and you say it back to God and you're like, I don't feel this, but I know it to be true. It changes your heart. Music has a power that, that I can't put my finger on, but music has this certain power to change our hearts. And when we interact with God through music, it changes us. So that's my little PSA on music, guys. Sing. Men, sing it out. We need you. We need you to, to connect with God, not just because we want to hear your voices, but because it changes our hearts. And so let's go back to this story in Genesis. Now I'm going to give you a little backstory. Uh, you, you may know who Abraham is. Abraham, God spoke to and, and said he would be the father of many nations. And so he finds a wife. Her name is Sarah. They get together, and uh, they want to have kids, but what's their issue? Infertility, right? So infertility issues. They can't have children. They're struggling with God. They're frustrated with God. This is a dark season for them, which for some of you, if you're married and you can't have kids or you've gone through this, you know this is a dark season. This is, maybe you're still in that season. You know, it is a dark time where you have some really deep conversations with God. Infertility is a hard thing because it feels like one of the most basic things that we should be able to do. I'm a human. I make babies. I reproduce, right? It's just like I'm built to do this. It seems like, oh, why shouldn't I be able to control this? Why shouldn't I just be able to make this happen? Isn't it what I'm created to do? And for, for whatever reason, God, with with all these patriarchs, he, he gives them this issue. Almost as if to remind them that even at the basic, most basic level... We are still not in control of the things around us, that only God is. And so they struggle with infertility. Then at the age of 90, Sarah conceives, which is awesome. This 90-year-old pregnant lady walking around. She has a baby. His name is Isaac. Isaac comes out. He's the miracle child. And he grows up, and he finds this girl, Rebecca, and gets married to her. What's their issue? Infertility. Same problem as Abraham and Sarah so they're struggling through this issue, trying to figure out what to do. They pray to God. God finally gives them a pregnancy, but not just one child, two, right? Praise God. Some, I was talking to some twin mamas here uh, earlier in, 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 the, in the day here, and, and it's like the same situation where you're praying for God to give you a child, and then you don't get one child. You get two children. And so it's that way for them. They got two children. The names are Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. And it says in Genesis 25 that the children struggled together within her, which I guess this happens a lot with twins. Like, you know, one of the moms was like, I don't know if they're playing rugby in there, but it's like a battle going on between the two. And you're hoping that it's just natural. But for these two, for Jacob and Esau, this was, this was a sign of what was to come. Th- this was a foreshadowing of what their relationship would be, what's tension problems, struggle. The story gets even more twisted. So Jacob later finds the girl of his dreams, Rachel. And he goes to Rachel's dad and says, hey, can I marry your daughter? He says, well, if you work for me for a little while, you can. <laughs> so he's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to give away my daughter. I'm going to have you work for me. And so he works for him. And then uh, finally, uh, after he works for him for a while, his, uh, her father Laban gets him completely drunk. And while he's drunk, Laban takes Rachel out of the room Puts her sister in the room, and what does Jacob do? Sleeps with her sister. Totally awkward, right? I mean, talk about awkward Bible moments. I mean, that's this is why the Bible's so so easy to relate to. I mean, simple things like this. If you're gonna marry a girl, guys, don't sleep with her sister. Very basic. This is what we're reading. Don't sleep. So he sleeps with her sister, it gets weird, and what does he do? He's like, Well, I'll take both of you. So marries both of them. <laughs> so bizarre. Marries both of these women. Now he's got. Got two of them. And his, his name, I don't know if you know this, Jacob's name means deceiver. So from birth, he's given this name that represents his life till, till uh, what we're going to read, till there's a transition in his life later on. And he's so driven. What you read about Jacob is he's so driven to get the better things in life. He's so committed to, to what he wants, but he's never happy with what he has. And so you find him over and over again deceiving and conniving to get what he wants from the people around him. He's so motivated for better things, but he's, he's got no peace with the lot he has been given. And so he deceives and he manipulates and he tries to, to work the deck so that he can get what he wants out of life. And I don't know if you've seen this in your life, maybe. Um, some of the most motivated people that I know are some of the most depressed people that I know. Have you seen this? Where people, they they have big dreams, big plans. Maybe they had parents that were business owners and did amazing things. They have all kinds of money. Or parents who are leaders in the community. Very influential people. And so they grow up with this sort of idea that you're going to do huge things. Son, you're going to do huge things. And so they're always running and striving and trying to get the next big thing. And you find that when they lay down in bed at night, they don't sleep very well. Because it's always all this stuff running through. Your head. Some of you experienced this last night where, you know, you got woke up at whatever, 1.30 in the morning. You laid down back to bed, and then you couldn't sleep, right? Because life just started happening and running through your brain. And you started struggling with, with the reality of the things that you're dealing with and of, of the things that you want to do and the things that aren't quite right. And for me, honestly, when I'm laying in bed, so those are some of the darkest times for me. When I'm just wrestling with who I am, wrestling with the world that I live in. Jacob did a lot of wrestling. So what is it for you today? Could you just look inside and just dig in for a second? What is it for you that's stealing your joy? What is it for you that's giving you this sadness or grief or depression? What is it in your life that is causing you to lose hope and to want to just give up on this situation or give up Completely. Could you just identify what that is? And then the next question is, is it something you can control? Can you do anything about it? I think this is a good question to ask. When you're dealing with depression or sadness, ask this question. Can you control it? Is it something that you can do anything about? For some of you, it is. It's, it's, it's a decision you made and now you're in a mess and it's depressing and it's worse because you did it. You caused it or you continue to cause it, and you know, I should do something about this, but the stakes aren't high enough yet. It's not robbing enough from you, or you've convinced yourself that it's not hurting anybody else, and so you're like, well, I'm not going to really do anything about it. Christianity uh, can be depressing sometimes, right? Christians, yep, yep, nod your heads, yep. Christianity can be depressing sometimes, and here's what I mean is when you become a Christian or you align yourself with Christianity, maybe you prayed a prayer at one point or you started coming to church or whatever it may be, there's this transition that happens where you, you get a little bit of Jesus and you get a little bit of vision for what the world could be like and for what your life could be like. And you start to get a picture through the teachings of Jesus of what's not healthy for you, what's just not good for you. And then you get a picture over here of like what you should be about, all the things that you should be focusing on in life. And so what people often end up in is sort of this stuck in between phase of life where it's like you've got too much Jesus to go back and too little Jesus to move forward. Have you been there before where you're like, yeah, I got some Jesus in my life? Or, or maybe for you, it's just I'm showing up to church. I'm hearing all this stuff. I'm looking for, you know, a motivational Sunday morning sermon. I'm going to go do my own thing for the rest of the week. But what happens over time is you lose your ability to be happy. You lose your ability to be joyful. And you end up with this deep tension inside of you because you're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to give all that stuff up and do the stuff that God is saying I should do and really be that, you know, that Christian that is totally committed. But I'm not really ready to say it's not real or that God's not real or that, you know, none of this stuff matters. So you end up stuck in between. And that's kind of depressing. I heard it said like this recently the difference between where you are. And where God wants you to be may be the painful decision that you refuse to make. Think about that. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be may be the painful decision that you are refusing to make. You're like, "Ah, it's just not worth it to me yet. Or the stakes aren't high enough yet. Or I just am not ready to let go of this area of my life. It's way too comfortable and it's way too fun. But you're stuck and you're struggling through that. Or maybe it's something you can't control. Maybe it's something that's been done to you years ago or is being done to you right now. Maybe you are doing a great job at your job and there was an economic downturn and you lost your job. And you're like, this stinks. I lost my job. I'm I'm pretty depressed. Yes, Brian, I'm depressed right now. And you can't do anything about what happened to you. So then, what's the next step? If you find yourself in that situation, what's the next step? Get rid of that feeling, right? Get better, get rid of the problem, just feel better. And so people do something called coping. And coping is just finding something tangible to grab onto that can make you feel better. And people run to all kinds of things to cope. Unhealthy things that that were never intended to be used to make you feel better. Um, we run to a lot of different things. And what happens here is that when we act, when we ask the creation to give us joy, we always end up depressed. When we ask the creation, the stuff that we've been given, the stuff that God has given us to enjoy, we ask that stuff to give us joy, we end up really depressed. And here's here's what I mean. If you ask sex to give you joy, you're going to abuse it. Because it's going to hold a place in your life that it was never intended to be. It's never intended to give you your joy. It's a gift from God, but it's never intended to be the source of joy. Of your joy. If you ask alcohol to give you joy, you will abuse it. You know? I mean, it's a neutral thing. Alcohol is neutral, but if you ask it to give you joy, you will abuse it. You'll keep running back to it. You'll keep running back to it. Keep running back to it. Ask relationships to bring you joy and you'll be a manipulator. Because people will never do what you want them to do, right? Uh huh. Yep, they just won't. They will never do exactly what you want them to do. And so if they are the source of your joy, you will be a manipulator. You will try to get them to do exactly what you want them to so you can feel better about yourself. Ask money to give you joy and you'll become a slave to money. Do you have people in your life like this? You're like, they just cannot stop trying to get a bigger bank account. It's, it's, It's a source of joy for people. But it's never intended to be. It's a gift. Ask your achievements to give you joy, and you're never going to stop striving. Some of you are looking for the next promotion, looking for the next job, looking for the next trophy, the next title, whatever it may be. You love those letters at the beginning of your name. You know, they're very important to you. If that's your source of joy, you will never get off the treadmill. You will never get off it. Now, it's it's okay to enjoy those things. It's okay to pursue those things. But again, only God was intended to give you joy. That's why when we worship, we honor him and none of this stuff, to remind us that he is where our joy and peace and hope come from. Let's go back to Jacob, verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So here we have Jacob. Jacob has had this life of deceiving, life of striving, trying to get everything he wants. He's just getting ready to go see his brother Esau, and he's nervous, because the last time they hung out, it was not good. And his brother Esau doesn't like him so much because he's stolen his birthright and his blessing and pretty much spent his entire life trying to take things from him. So Jacob is not really great in the eyes of Esau. So he's, he's kind of like dealing with this. He knows he's probably going to see his brother. knows his brother's probably going to try to kill him. Super weird, right? That's, that's not a fun feeling to have. Like, okay, I'm going to see my brother. going to try to kill me. Hope I can talk him off the ledge. Not sure how this is going to work out. So difficult situation. Then he, it gets dark. He sends everybody across the river. He's on the other side. It gets dark. And then there's this mystery man, this person that comes out of nowhere and starts wrestling with him in the dark. And this chaotic scene kind of ensues with this all night wrestling match between him and this man that comes as a representation of God to him. Uh, I have a friend recently that has been wrestling uh, for a long time with depression and sadness. And I want to share his story. Check out this video.
1: Hi, my name is James Taylor. I live in Eagle River with my family. I'm married and I have a two-year-old and I have a baby that's 13 days old. Uh, We came up to Alaska because I'm in the Air Force. This is our third duty station and uh, we've been here for about two years and been attending ACF pretty much since we got here. Growing up, there wasn't any signs of depression at all. I had a lot of conflict in my life that I didn't deal with, and I wasn't really able to handle, and I would just push to the side, kind of sidestep it and move on to a point where I didn't deal with conflict very well. When this all did start happening, I didn't really know how to handle it. Uh, there's been a lot of things that have happened in my life that have gotten me to hear that would be considered traumatic, You know, I set some pretty high expectations on how my life was going to go. Once those expectations weren't met, then that was when problems started happening. You know, life starts happening. Life being, babies coming, marriage, stress, financial, doesn't matter, whatever. It wasn't what I had expected life to be. I had brought some baggage with me from my last duty station. Uh, Right before I left, my friend was killed in Afghanistan by a vehicle-borne IED I basically just moved right through it. I went to the funeral. Had a lot to do with the funeral, planned a lot of his procession and uh, worked through it. And then, but hey, you gotta get on and, and, and start working again. So my coping mechanism was to bury myself in work. And I buried myself in work so much that uh, I wasn't taking care of things at home. And so once I had recognized that, that I was coping and plus the darkness, and I just was starting to slide, I could, I could feel it. I could feel it driving home. I could feel that I was starting to feel a little suicidal. After I realized that I am struggling with depression, something is wrong. I need to get help. So, I, you know, there's a lot of places you can get help around here. So I started with with base because they've got a lot of uh, they've got a lot of resources there for you. So I started seeing a counselor there. And it's hard. I'm, I'm I'm mentally drained. I'm I'm tired. It's almost been a year of doing it. You know, I feel better about my friend, but it's not it's not. Good. and as you can see it's still hard for me to talk about my friend moving through my counseling you know you have to go back and you have to look at each circumstance from a different angle every single one of them and it sucks it sucks to go back and look at things that you don't want to relive my counselor also recommended that because being a Christian meant so much to me to get involved with a spiritual circle so we got involved with a life group uh, at ACF and it's it's kind of funny to think about how we finally got involved because, you know, I'm up here for three years, and I thought that I'd just put my head down and get through it. I really did. I thought, just put your head down, get back to the lower 48, you'll be all right. You don't need help. It, you'll get through it, you know. But it wasn't going to happen. So I had been sabotaging our family participation in ACF for probably a year, just thinking, we just can go on Sunday, get what we need out of it, and then go home and you'll be alright, but really, I needed somebody, you know, I just needed a friend. I needed somebody to talk to and I wasn't. So we started going to life group and I struggled at the life group too. I struggled to talk because my friend that was killed was in my life group, my last life group. So I didn't want to open up to anybody, you know, what if they're gonna die again? Got through it, started opening up and man, to have those shoulders to lean on was something else. Just seeing somebody every single week, and it's hard. It was so hard to force yourself to go to a life group. Go, get out, go see people, hang out. Find out that they have the same problems as you. Once we started going, it was, it was like, why wasn't I doing this before, you know? Why, why sabotage yourself? Why, why be in pain? Why, why do this on your own? I think it's this journey to struggle that actually has made me lean more on the God.
0: Let's thank James for telling this story, right? Man, I've seen that three times, and it's still powerful. Um, Pretty courageous, isn't it? It's hard. That's hard. I was talking with him about sharing that, and he was really wrestling. He's like, I don't know if I'm ready to do it. And he goes, why do you even want to hear my story? It's not a very good story. He's like, I don't have the, yeah, I went to church, and uh, Jesus healed me of my depression. And I told him, I'm like, "I, I honestly feel like churches can do a disservice to people by only telling stories like that. The, yeah, you found Jesus and everything's all better. Because it just doesn't always work out that way. And I told James, like I want to tell you, for him, here's what the success is in his story. He is struggling through it. And I don't know if you see that as success. We see success as like, I'm happy now, my problem is gone, and I'm all better. But guess what? That is not life. Like, this problem's going to go away, but a new one's coming. And so there's got to be a way to have joy and peace amidst all of the struggle. So for James, I I just love his story because I think he's just honest about it. It's not easy. And I love that he talked about being in a group. James is in our life group. And uh, I know we talk about groups a lot. And and for you, maybe you're going, yeah, Brian, I get it. I appreciate that. when my life falls apart, I'm going to get into community. But understand this, James showed up, and there needed to be people there for him to get help. Like, like if, the, if the community didn't already exist, where was he going to go to get help? And so it exists because people press into relationships, not just when things are a mess, but also when they're good. And so let me encourage you, like, if you're just sort of waiting, and, and I get this sort of selfish, like, yeah, I get that it's a resource for me when, when, I, when I want it. Understand that, that maybe you don't need help today, but maybe the person next to you needs you. As James said, I just needed a friend. Maybe you're the friend. Maybe you're the person that, that needs to ask the tough questions. Maybe you know that guy at work that you're like, he is kind of reclusive and I don't talk to him because he takes a lot of work to talk to. And maybe that person is the one that, that God is leading you into a relationship with. You know, and you, you get into a group of people and you realize that it's this organic thing that happens where there's always somebody who's kind of wrestling and there almost always seems to be somebody else in the room that can help that person. So for you to do what, what you have been called to do as a, as, a, as a Christian, if you're a believer, it means getting into community so that you can operate in the gifts and the experience that God has given you. And it's a beautiful thing, you guys. When you get to use what has happened in your life to help somebody else, isn't that awesome? Doesn't it kind of validate all of the struggle and all of the mess you went through when you relate to something and somebody's like, you know, and you're like, I've, I've been there. I can help you get through this. So three responses to these hopeless situations, three things that I, that I see all around. The first is fright, the fright response. This is the I'm paralyzed response. This was me last night with my wife, you know, holding hands in bed going, I hope it just stops, right? I didn't move. I didn't go anywhere. I just laid there, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, it's going to get better. No, no, it's getting more. No, okay, we're, no, it's not really done. Uh, no, okay, now it's done. You know, it's that game of like, I'm just not going to move. And I'm just going to hope it goes away. The paralyzation. And when people get depressed and down, there's sort of a paralyzation. Like, I just, I don't want to make it worse. So I just, I'm going to stay right here in what feels the most safe. Because moving is going to take way too much energy. There's way too much risk there. Um, Anybody follow Powerball this year? Was that Crazy. Or what one point was it 1.6 billion dollars for the Powerball? Okay, now all you guys are Alaskans, but be honest, if you didn't live in Alaska, who would have bought a powerball ticket? Yep, come on, we're all honest here., yeah, I get it. It's okay. Um, so for me, I wasn't in Alaska. I, last week, I went down to Oregon, and I, I thought about it. I was driving by a gas station, I'm like, I should totally buy a Powerball ticket. Think of what we could do as a church, you know, like if, if I got $1.6 billion, there's a lot of great things that I could do. You know, I could be the hero. That'd be amazing. And so I thought about it, I drove by the gas station, and I like I kind of did the math in my head, and I'm like, nah, nah, that's not worth it. Do you know how much tickets were? Two dollars. Two dollars for one point six billion dollars. 635 million people said, that's totally worth it. That's how many people bought tickets. $2 a piece. The odds were 1 in 292.2 million, you know, which for some of those people, it was like, so you're saying there's a chance, right? Totally (laughs) worth it. $2, Two dollars, best two dollars I ever spent for me. I just kept thinking, you know, what can I do with that two dollars? I could get a soda, I could get a candy bar, I could buy a gallon of gas, right? I could do a lot of great things with two bucks. Whereas the rest of this crowd was like two bucks, and they're still going like that was the best two bucks I ever spent. I didn't win anything, but totally think of the potential, think of the opportunity, and and I just I think that that's kind of the case for a lot of us that we live more out of fear than out of faith. And and that's what drives us is fear. Like we're just frozen in fear that if I move, it could get worse. And so I better just stay right here, which is the worst thing to do. If you're depressed and you're, you're struggling with this today, I want to encourage you, move. Take a step. Do something. And just like James said in the video, it's not always perfect when you take a step. You're going to show up and you're going to be like, if you go to a group, this was awkward. I've never done this before. Or there's going to be somebody in there that maybe you didn't know would be there that you know from work and you're like, oh, man, I don't want to hang out with them. Or somebody that's completely awkward and you just you don't connect with that. It's just gonna you're going to stub your toe over and over again when you do this stuff. But I, I want you to know this, that the sadness you experience in failure is better than the hopelessness of apathy. It stinks when you fail. It stinks when it doesn't go as planned. But that's way better than the hopelessness of not doing anything. It is worth it. It is worth it. Talk to people who have gone through what you've gone through, and they're going to say, I'm so glad I spoke up. I'm so glad I talked about it. I'm so glad that I broke the silence and was able to get some help and to be in community. Second response is this flight. We've We've got the flight response. That is the get me out of here response. Maybe you're at this stage where you just want to run. I just want to bail out. Get me out of this situation. Uh, we learn from a very young age to run from pain, right? You touch the stove, which I did over and over again, uh, and then you get burned, and then you recoil. And, and you just, you learn from pain, and what do you do? You recoil from pain. You, you, you skin your knee on your bike, you go and you fix, you figure out something else. Let's do, let's do it different. Let's get knee pads. So I don't do that again, right? You spend all of your rent money on pizza, no place to live. Bad decision, right? And so it's like you learn from pain. You learn to to do do something different. Let's get out of this situation. Let's do something completely different next time. And it's the same way when it comes to our struggles a lot of times. We just think, if I can just get away from this, then maybe I'll have some peace and maybe I can get out of the pain. When I first moved out of my parents' house, um, I graduated high school And I had a friend that was 25, so I'm 18, he's 25, and my buddy Mike had this apartment across town, and he had a guest bedroom, and Mike was like, you can live with me, I'm not going to be your mama, (laughs) but you can live with me, and you're going to pay rent. And so I'm like, awesome, you know, so excited to move out of my parents' house. And so I move in with Mike, bring all my junk in there, and I'm like loading up the freezer with pizza rolls, and I got Mountain Dew. I I got everything that I need to sustain life in my new apartment. And I remember like I made dinner that first night, and I made this big mess, and I had like, you know, the pan and all the dishes, and I left them out on the counter, and, and I just went to bed. So I wake up the next morning, I come out to the kitchen, and guess where the dishes were? Right on the counter. I'm like strange, super weird. So anyway, I made some more food and, you know, like put everything on the counter again in the sink. You know, it's just all sitting there. Once it went to school, got back home, guess where the dishes were? On the counter in the sink. And this went on for a week. I I kid you not, I am so slow when it comes to learning. And after a week, I was like, this is weird. It's like, it's not going away. This is not my life, right? My life is you put the dish on the counter, it just disappears. It's beautiful. And now it's kind of like the same now, but it wasn't that way. Uh, married guys, come on, you get it. And so I was like, this is so strange. It just took me a long time to learn that my, my, my roommate was making a point. He knew, like, if we started off like this, he's going to be my house cleaner for the rest of the time that I live with him. So he's like, I will let that thing stack up to the ceiling before I clean one of your dishes. And I needed to learn that. I needed to learn that, like, it's not just going to go away on its own. And, and I feel like our problems are that way. Everything that you put off for tomorrow will be there tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And it's like you've heard said before, everywhere you go, there you are. Everywhere you go, there you are. Every situation you find yourself in that's new, here comes all of your old baggage and problems. And so you don't want to put that stuff off. You want to be willing to deal with it. Don't run from your problems. In extreme cases, this is the person that says, I think suicide is an option because I do not know where to begin with all of this. Or I'm just so hopeless that I, I don't want to move forward. And so I, I want to I evacuate. I just want to get out. Just pull the eject button and, and not have to feel whatever this is anymore. Don't do that. Start talking. The third response is this fight. This is the I'm not giving up response. And I hope that you would land here today as we talk. I hope that you'd be willing to fight for better things in your life. That you wouldn't just settle For a life that lacks peace and a life that lacks joy. Um, We have marriages that struggle at ACF Church. um, And and so they come into my office and other people's offices occasionally. And and so I get to talk with some of you um, as you're wrestling. And I'm no marriage counselor, but I, I do my best to try to help send people in the right direction. And there's two kinds of scenarios that I end up walking into. The couple will show up and the first couple will be at each other's throats. Like screaming, yelling. I mean, it's a mess. It's just, you know, like dead bodies everywhere, right? I mean, it's, it's people throwing around stories from 20 years. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a messy situation. The second scenario is the couple comes in, and the one sits in the very corner of the room, and the other sits over in this corner of the room, and they don't say a word. And you can barely pull anything out of them. I mean, they're, they are so done. Now, out of those two situations, which one do you think is the most dangerous? It's the second one. It's always the second Why? Because they've stopped fighting. They've just stopped fighting. They're like, I'm kind of done with all of this. Verse 25, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So here's what happens. Jacob wrestles all night long with this man. And he prevails. He prevails against him. And this man touches his hip socket. And then he cripples him. He literally like assaults him. And and he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. And I was thinking about this, like, this is a real wrestling match for Jacob. This wasn't some kind of illustration. In God's word, this is, this is meant to be a literally red situation. Jacob wrestled with this being all night long that represented God, that came as God to this man. Wrestled with him all night long and walked away limping, but winning, prevailing. Like What does he really mean when it means that he wrestled with God and he prevailed? Do you think that Jacob overpowered God? Was he that strong? Did he outwit God? What does it mean that he prevailed in this situation? All I could think of was, uh, was when me and my little boy wrestle. So my little boy, Grayson, he's three years old. And he and I wrestle every single day. It's part of our routine. We wrestle every single day. And what will happen is like, I can just look at him now and he knows it's coming. And so I'll see him and, and I'll be like, and I'll say this. I'll say, Grayson, who's stronger? And he'll be like, Grayson's stronger. And he comes running over and we we'll, are like grapple at it for a minute, you know, and we'll go at it and then like I'll hold him. I'll squeeze him, and he can't move. And I'll be like, who's stronger? And he's like, daddy's stronger. they I'll let him go, and he'll bow up. Like, all right, let's do this again. He'll come back at me. We'll do this two or three different times. Who's stronger? Grayson's stronger. Daddy's stronger. Back and forth. And I just, I feel like there's kind of this situation like that. All night long, they're wrestling, and they're grappling in the dark, and he's, he's trying to win. And I just, I picture Jacob, like my little boy with me, just holding on to my leg. And once in a while, I'll do this with Grayson. Is I'll just let him win. Let's see Jacob like holding on, you know, with, with with everything that he has onto this being. And it says that he prevails. What does it mean that he prevailed? I think that what's being said here is he prevailed because he kept on wrestling. He kept on wrestling. You guys, I don't know if you see this as a win. I, I would say that for most people, they don't. They, they, they feel like, if I can figure this out, if I can get out of the pain, if I can get away from this situation, that is the win. But I want you to know that for Jacob, the win was he was willing to lean in and wrestle with God. And and that's what I want for you today. If if you've been coming to church for a while, and you're like, yeah, Brian, I'm going to get serious about this faith stuff when I, when I figure this, this thing out, when I sort of figure God out, when I stop wrestling and I'm at peace with, with following Jesus, I'm going I'm to totally make a commitment. But right now I'm just wrestling. Understand that when Jesus says, come and follow me, he doesn't mean, and stop wrestling. He means, come wrestle with me. It's Jesus literally saying, I'm going to get down on my knees with you. And we're going we're to work this thing out. That's the intimacy and the relationship that God has for us. And I want you to know that if you're waiting to get it all figured out, it's not going to happen. You're never going to be at peace with everything. There's so much mystery. There should be. But you can wrestle with God and you can love him. And that's the cool thing about wrestling with my boy. I don't do it because I'm just an abusive dad. It's like God doesn't wrestle with you because he is an abusive father. He wrestles with his children because he loves them. Because it develops intimacy. Intimacy. And what you'll learn and what I learned with my little boy every time I wrestle with him, you know what? He gets a little stronger. And that's how it is for you. Every time you wrestle with God, you get a little bit stronger. You learn a little bit more. You're going to experience something like this. If you're not in it right now, uh, some people call it a dark night of the soul. It's that, that night, it's that midlife crisis where you think, I don't really think that I did what I was hoping to do in the past 40 years. And I'm not so sure the next 40 have anything better for me. Or maybe some people, it's a quarter-life crisis. Some people at 25 struggle deeply. Like, I'm, I'm just fresh out of college, and that was not all what I expected. And, and I don't know what's coming, and it's terrifying. You're wondering, like, what's next? You've got to have a way to deal with that, and I want you to lean into the wrestling. And I want to end with this because he says he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. You see, when I wrestle with my boy, you know what I'll always do? I'll always end with him saying this, Daddy's stronger. I'll always end with that. I'll always end holding him and reminding him, I'm still dad. Now, there may be a point that I'm not going to be able to do this, but right now, I'm still dad. And I feel like that's what was going on here is he, he prevailed in the sense that he wrestled with God and he walked away limping, having interacted with the, the living God, and God reminds him of that interaction with a limp. And for the rest of his life, Jacob, I think, looked at that limp, and he thought about how loving his father is. He thought about how loving the God was that he would get down on his knees and be willing to wrestle with his child. That's what I want for you today, to consider that wrestling is the win. And you'll be marked by it, you will be changed by it. When you interact with God, you will walk away with a limp. But I hope that when you look at that limp and you look at the wrestling, you'll be reminded of God's deep love for you. So keep wrestling with God. I think that you're gonna you're gonna realize that He's closer than you really think. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just know in a room like this there are some people dealing with some very deep issues. God, we've all got problems, but I know that some people are at a very dark place right now. God, I pray as we worship here in the next few moments that you would embrace them. God, that maybe they would sense your loving arms around them in a way that they haven't felt before. God, in sort of a supernatural way that they can't put their finger on, that they know that you love them that you want the best for them and that they have not been abandoned. That you're with them in the fight. God, I thank you that you wrestle with us. You're not some kind of distant God that stands away wondering what's going on with us. God, you are deeply in tune with our pains and our, and our struggles and our hopes and disappointments. God, you know what we need. So God, would you, would you give that to each individual in this room today? And God, could we all walk into a place where we would wrestle with you? God, as we wrestle, we wanna follow. So I pray even for somebody today, maybe they'd be willing to make this transition in their heart. They'd go from standing at a distance from you, looking in the window, but God coming in to the house, wrestling with their loving Father. We love you, God. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.